All right, well, good evening, Faith Baptist. So glad that we have already had such a wonderful time together. But now it's time for the Word of God as we study it out together. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 15 as we continue this Sunday evening uh, with seven verses. So we're looking at seven verses in Romans chapter 15, bringing the conclusion of what I've been preaching for two services uh, in Romans 14. There's uh, differences in the church. We're not all alike, and, and we shouldn't be alike. Can you imagine in our church if everybody looked the same and dressed the same and ate the same food and ate the same kind of pie and if we had the same likes and the same everything? If there was only sameness here, it would be the most boring thing. What makes creation beautiful is there's such a variety the, all the stars are different, all the plants are different, all the fish are different, all the birds are different. There's such a variety in creative design by our Father in heaven. Same thing with the church. We're all different. And it's a great thing to have all of these differences. However, when it comes to those gray areas, we don't let the differences divide us. Unity is vital to the church. We cannot serve the Lord and have a good testimony in our community without unity. This doesn't mean we all say everything exactly the same way. We don't always think the same. As a matter of fact, we can disagree and still get along. And that's the, that's the goal. So we looked at the principle of mutual acceptance. God has said for us to receive one another just as Christ has received us. So we welcome one another. We bring you close to our heart. We cherish you like family. We love you. We serve you. We work together. So we receive one another. There's the principle of a clear conscience. Whatever behavior you do, do it fully convinced in the word of God, in your mind, that you're obeying the word of God and you're pleasing the Savior. So we need to have a clear conscience. Do, do not violate your conscience with your behavior. Um, the third thing is there's no speculative judgment. We don't condemn one another and judge one another for your behaviors. You know, you do this. You eat meat. Well, you only eat vegetables. Well, you do this. We don't judge one another because we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and, ha and have an accounting. And who am I to judge another servant of God? I'm not. I'm not another. I'm not a judge. I don't know your heart. I don't know your motives. So I stay out of that realm. Let God do all of that. And this morning we looked at the principle of, of limiting our freedom. We're going to limit our freedom for the sake of love which means I, I may not be able to do everything that I could do just based on my love for you and my, my preference to be at peace with you and to encourage and to build you up. Now in chapter 15, to bring this all to a conclusion, there are five things we do to live this out. We've got these principles in mind. We have biblical evidence and teaching of it. But now the question is, how do we do it practically? How does this really show up in our church? When we have our Thanksgiving service, our night in Bethlehem, our, our gathering at worship services, our gathering for dinners and things like that, how does it show up that I can receive each of you strong or weak in the faith, whatever? Here's how. I have five things in Romans 15. The first one is verse 1. We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. You want to know the first way that we can receive one another strong or weak in the faith? It is this. We need to bear with one another. We need to bear one another. The idea of bearing one another is it's not to tolerate and it's just not to like put up with. It's like, oh, there's Tim again. I guess I'll have to put up with him another week and then I'll put up with him another year and then another year and 
It's not bearing, like tolerating or just being patient with. The idea of bearing is to carry a load with someone, to come alongside and assist them. So you want to live this out practically? If somebody has differences with you, you come alongside them and you lift them up. You assist them. You help them. So if somebody says, but I can't eat meat. Eating meat is sinful. I've never eaten meat in my life. Well, then we come alongside and we're like, okay, well, let's just look at the word and we'll pray together and we won't eat meat. And then when you, in, with good conscience, can begin eating meat, I'm here to help you and encourage you and strengthen you. So the idea is we, we bear one another up. We assist, we help. And it says, we then who are strong. So this is, the strong are not to despise the weak. All right, we're not to look down on the weak as being inferior spiritually and legalistic and all of these things. Rather, we come to them and we assist them. We come alongside and bear them up. We want them to grow so they have a full clear, godly uh, conscience in all of these areas of that, that they might be limiting themselves. Whether it's esteeming a certain day of the week, eating meat, eating bacon, whatever. Um, any of these non-sinful, not moral issues. Um, we we want to bear with, with the scruples, the, the, literally the failings of the week. Their conscience isn't giving them the freedom to do things. So let's bear with them. Let's help them. Let's support them. Let's assist them. And not please yourself. Aren't we living in a narcissistic age? Do you want to know why I have a Samsung phone, an Android? Because I don't want an iPhone, an iPad, an i you know, I'm just kidding. Um, but this whole world is centered on I. Do you know how many selfies are taken every day? Oh, you should see the teens at school. The teens at school, it's like, what are you doing with your phone? Taking selfies. Boom, boom. Like three selfies in a row. Like, why? Why would you want three pictures of you? I don't get it. There's, there's some attraction to selfies. You can buy a selfie stick, and then you get a better picture, I guess. I don't know. You know, we're so consumed with ourselves that it's easy in the church not to bear with one another. It's easy to override and overrun and judge and condemn and despise others in the church. We are not to do that. We're to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Secondly, you want to put this into practice? We need to put as a priority building one another up. Look with me at verse 2. Let each of us... The strong Christian with a, with a strong conscience that, that says they have freedom to do many things and the weak one that says, but I can't do this and I can't do this and I can't do this and I can't do this. Um, let each of us, whatever your view is with these gray areas that the word of God doesn't speak of, uh, let each of us please his neighbor. So I think it's even more general than just the church. We need to be doing good to others and even um, pleasing, being pleasing to our neighbor. Don't take this wrong. Galatians 1.10 says we don't seek the approval of men for their applause and flattery. So I'm not trying to cater to you to just get you to like me. I want you to like me, so I'll do anything. If I do that, then I can't be a bondservant of Christ. What I'm saying is I'm going to put your interests more than mine in my priorities. So I'm going to seek each of us will seek to please his neighbor. Can you imagine, again, what a church would like that would be? 
where everybody is set when they come to church, not thinking of, what do I get out of this place? What can they do for me? I want Faith Baptist to serve me, and I better leave here feeling like everybody likes me and, and is happy with me, and if everybody hasn't thanked me and patted me on the back, well, I'm never coming here again. I need self-affirmation. What a terrible church that would be. But if we all come with the idea of, I'm seeking to please you, to build you up in the faith, to assist you, to support you, to put, set you on track, praise God. So let each of us please his neighbor. But it's, here's the limitations of our pleasing his neighbor. It's just not a wide open, I want you to like me, so I'll do anything you say. It's for his good and for his edification. For their edification. This word edification means to build a house. We're literally helping one another build our spiritual houses. So if it's good and if it builds another one up, then do it. And, and seek to please your neighbor, doing good for them and building them up in the, in the holy faith. If it's not good and it doesn't build them up, then don't do it. All right, so that's the second one. What's the third one? The third one is... Pattern yourself after Christ. You want to live like this so that the church is unified and we're at peace with one another? Not only do we bear with one another, we assist one another coming alongside them. Not only do we do all things to edify one another. Thirdly, we pattern ourselves after Christ. He's our greatest example, isn't he? Look at Jesus' example, verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, and now we get a quote from Psalm 69, verse 9. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. All of the insults and the hurt and the shame that people had for God, Jesus took himself. You know, people hated, people hated God. And then when Jesus showed up and said he is God, they hated him and insulted him. And all of the reproaches people meant for God that fell on Jesus Christ in the flesh came upon him, didn't it? Now, what Paul doesn't do, he doesn't give us practical examples from the New Testament about when Jesus was shamed and insulted. Rather, he takes us where? To the Old Testament. He is saying, I can sum up the whole ministry of Christ out of one verse in Psalm 69. The reproaches that were meant against God Jesus took upon himself. He did not please himself, but he sought to please who? The Father. He wasn't pleasing. He didn't seek to please man. He sought to please the Father. So he was willing to take all the insults, all the shame, all the bad attitudes, bad actions, insults, spits, you know, the spittings, the beatings. He was willing to take it all just so that the Father could say, I am pleased with you, my son. So why should you be willing to put up with other people in the church? Because you're seeking to please the Father. And since the Father set you here, you deal with it. You put up with it. You don't run. You don't change churches. You work it out. You change churches, what happens? Do you find the same things in another church? Oh, you know, there have been times in 28 years or whatever I've been here, there have been times where I've told Melissa, we're leaving. We're going to get out of Faith Baptist once and for all. And do you know what I always think? Wherever you go, you're going to find the same thing. Why run? Why not work through it? And we have to sit down sometimes and cry and hug and ask forgiveness and, and work through it. But, you, but you'll work through it, don't you? 
You don't just pick up and leave because you'll find that in another church. You'll, you'll find it wherever you go. So Jesus, he didn't seek to get out of it. He simply took what came his way that he might please the Father. What a great example. So we need to pattern ourselves after Jesus Christ. Do you know what Psalm 69, have you, have you read Psalm 69 lately, church? You need to. Read Psalm 69. It is dark and difficult. But, but there's a text where it says, you know, David is writing it because David is, David is feeling like overwhelmed with everybody attacking him. And it says, the number of my enemies is more than the hairs on my head. And so Jesus is literally, I think, saying, the number of enemies that I have as God in human flesh are more than you can count. And yet I'm willing to do all of this and endure it all and bear it all so that my father might be pleased. So if you do that, you come to church and you say, you know what, Father, whatever happens, I want to please you. And since you set me here, this is where I'm going to work. And I'll endure and I'll, I'll bear up and edify one another so that you are pleased. So we need to pattern ourselves after Christ. Fourthly, look at verse 4. For, and now because, because Paul quoted Psalm 69, he's going to teach us something important about the Old Testament. Verse 4, for whatever things were written before, before the New Testament age, this would be Old Testament writings, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning. The entire Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, was written for the New Testament church to learn something. We need to be instructed in the Old Testament. A lot of people don't like the Old Testament. It's hard, and it's confusing and you've got narratives you've got poetry you've got all all kinds of literature and then you have history and sometimes in one chapter you get 300 years and sometimes in eight chapters you get five minutes it's it's like how do you get it you you figure it out you put your time and energy into it but all of these things which were written were written written for our learning now we're going here's what we're going to learn from the old testament at least some things All of these things were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. You want to know what we get from the scriptures, the Old Testament? We learn about being patient. We learn about waiting. Oh, we don't like to wait. Right? Praise God for microwaves and minute meals. Boy, if if I have to cook a frozen thing in the microwave for longer than a minute, I'm like, are you serious? A minute? It should be faster than this. We want it all done right now. You know what we learn from the Old Testament? God is patient, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits. And Noah builds the ark, and a hundred years goes by, and 20 years go by, and then the ark is built, and then they get in the ark, and then it's seven more days before the, the rain falls and the, the door closes. You know, God just waits and waits. And then Israel is in Egypt as slaves year after year after year. 300 years, 350, 375, 390, 400, 420, 430 years. And Moses shows up to lead him out. Oh, Israel could have been getting impatient. So what do we learn from the Old Testament? Well, we need to develop patience. Don't be so quick to judge and to act and to react. 
Sometimes we just need to sit back and we need to sit back and watch God work. And look at the second thing we learn, comfort. The, the Old Testament encourages us. It says, you know what? There were Old Testament men and women that really suffered. Daniel, his whole life, he wasn't well loved by the rest of the political system. Yet he was faithful and consistent. And even as an 85-year-old tossed into a lion's den, faithful. So we get so much comfort from the scriptures. I read the Old Testament and I'm like, ah, oh, thank you, Lord. I, I just don't feel so alone anymore. I just, you have, you have worked in the Old Testament and you're working now. You're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. You know what, you know what I like about Jeremiah? Talk about one of the worst times in the nation Judah ever. You can't find a harder time for Judah. And it seems like the days will never end. And God is just patient day after day and comforting day after day. So we'll learn patience and hope. And I'm sorry, patience and comfort of the scriptures that we might have hope. You know, there are better days coming. That's the message of Jeremiah. There are better days coming. And uh, for the church too. So when things look bleak here and we're kind of not getting along. If that should ever happen, hmm. given enough time, that'll happen. You know what? We're patient. We get our encouragement from the word of God, from truth. And we have hope that this is the Lord's church and he's going to work it all out. So I told you there's five things. The first, we need to bear with one another. Secondly, we need to edify one another. Third, we need to pattern ourselves after Christ. Fourth, we need to saturate our life with the scriptures. And the last one, you need to pray. You need to pray that God would help you to love one another and be like-minded. Here's the prayer. Paul breaks into prayer. He's showing us what we need to do. Verse 5, here's the prayer. Now, may the God of patience and comfort. You like that? What are the scriptures all full of? The scriptures are full of patience and comfort. Why? Because God wrote the, the Old Testament, and he is the God of patience and comfort. You want patience and comfort? Where do you go? To the word and to God. God, grant me patience and comfort today. I need patience. I have had my end of people. Lord, I need patience. And you know I'm so discouraged. It is so dark out there, and the, everything seems to be going wrong. But you know, give me, give me comfort, Lord. You are the God of patience and the God of comfort. So that's the prayer. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. So we need to be like-minded. So I'm, my prayer, and you know what your prayer needs to be? Lord, you are the God of patience and comfort. Grant me to be like-minded with other believers at Faith Baptist. Help me to be like-minded. Not say everything the same. Not quote me, well, Pastor Brian said, quote, not, it's, it's, we're not identical. That's not uniformity. It's like-mindedness. We're out of time, but I'm just going to tell you this quick. In Philippians 2, we get an example of a call for unity. God, Jesus Christ was like-minded with the Father. He did not consider it robbery to be called equal with God, but yet he took upon himself the form of a bond slave. That's others-minded. And um, then he was lowly-minded, going even to the humility of the cross. Then, listen to this, everybody. Paul said, I am sending Timothy to you, Philippi, because he is like-minded with me, and I have no one else like that. You know, Timothy and Paul were like-minded in Philippians 2, around verse 20. 
You know what that means? When Paul sent Timothy, Timothy wasn't a, a carbon copy of Paul. Timothy had his own weaknesses. He had his own strengths. He had his own personality. He probably had better jokes. He, who knows how different Timothy was from Paul? But when Timothy walked into a church, he, Paul knew Timothy would respond with the scriptures and the grace of God like I would. He is like-minded with me. No one else is like that because others are seeking their own. Timothy is seeking your best. So do you see what like-mindedness means? It's like literally if, if uh, you go off and do something, you would handle the scriptures and the grace of God and the hope of God not, not, in this, not using my words and actions, but you would be, we would be doing and saying the same things in, with our own personalities and differences. And differences. So um, there's a, a great need to be praying for like-mindedness toward one another. So would you make that your prayer? And then verse 6, that you may, with, and here's the goal. Here's why we pray for like-mindedness. That we may, with one mind and one mouth, Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what humanism is? Humanism says the chief end of man is the happiness of man. The world says their chief end and goal is that they might be happy. I'll do it, I'll watch it, I'll eat it, I'll drink it if it makes me happy. For the Christian, what is the chief end of man? The glory of God. So why, why do we pray for like-mindedness? that God the Father might be glorified in our interactions and in our public worship and in our gatherings. Every time we gather together, we want God to be glorified through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 7, a summation. Therefore, receive one another. That's the whole point since chapter 14 began. Therefore, receive one another. Welcome one another like family into our heart and into our lives. Receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And how has Christ received us? He's the kindest, greatest, most generous, gracious friend anyone could have. So we need to receive one another like that. Now that's the kind of church I want to go to. Right there. Right? Praise God. Well, the next text, as you read it for Sunday morning... We talked just now about how the strong and the weak need to get along, right? The next section, guess what it is? The Jew and the Gentile need to get along. So we're going to talk about how Jesus is ma- made the Jew and the Gentile get along in the church, which would be the greatest differences. To be Jew and Gentile, you, wouldn't, you would never step into each other's houses. You would never eat the same foods. You would not even eat off the same plates, So to put them in the church together, there needs to be a call for unity amongst Jew and Gentile, and that's what happens next. Then Paul's going to give a little summation of his ministry to the Romans and what he wants to do in the future. Then in chapter 16, a list of names and co-workers, and we're done. What a book! I'm excited. I could just go to midnight. But we'll stop. I already went longer than I intended. But let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Romans 15, 1 through 7 is absolute joy. It gives us such admonition, and it it tells us exactly how to live out the truth of Romans 14. Help us to receive one another at Faith Baptist. Help us to deal with sinful behavior and unrepentant sin so that the church might be cleansed. But when it comes to the other differences that are not sinful, and we just disagree on different things, help us to be loving and gracious, bearing with one another, 
patterning ourselves after Christ, saturated with the word of God. You are so good to us, and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.